0: Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible Talks to Help You Mature as a Follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco.
1: Welcome to the Praise and Worship edition of uh, Meals for Maturity as we flip open the close of the book of Psalms. We've been looking at Psalms 146-150, five ancient songs given to God's people in the Old Testament and left for Jesus' people in the New Testament to help us now journey with joy and to praise God, now and into all eternity. Psalms 146 to 150 all begin and end with praise the Lord, or hallelujah in the Hebrew. It's like an aircraft taking off. See, we've had 145 psalms on the runway, but now we have liftoff, as God's people in the Old Testament really saw and lift their hearts and and voices in praise to God. Most likely, these five books of Psalms were finally collated or collected together after the exile. And these final Psalms are praise to the God of heaven and earth, but they're also proclamation to the nations for God's redemption and the making of his people. And today we're invited into the Old Testament church, really to join with ancient Israel, in singing praises, because we're also the redeemed people of God through the Lord Jesus. Ours, of course, is a broken hallelujah, for we sing as fallen creatures, eagerly awaiting renewal in the new heavens and the new earth. We're up to Psalm 147 today in our short series, and here's a simple outline of this psalm, or maybe we could say three psalms put together in one. So verse 1 is, I've called, the good of the alleluia verses 2 to 6 praise God for his redemption work verses 7 to 11 praise God for his creation work and then verses 12 to 20 praise God for his word at work well let's hear Cherub read this psalm to us
0: now Psalm 147 verses 1 to 20 praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and a song of praises fitting The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord of thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lair. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders, he fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth, his word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool, he scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs, who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord.
1: The unknown psalmist here opens with a truth we know really well as Christians, but sometimes it's hard to explain why. That is, it is good to sing praises to God. In fact, we're not, we're not only told it's just good, we're also told two other facts. It's pleasant and fitting or appropriate. See, verse 1's reminding us that even when you walk through the doors of your church thinking, you know what, I don't really feel like being with God's people here today. I'd much rather be by myself drinking coffee or sleeping in or walking up a mountain or going to a beach or riding my camel, whatever it is. You see, even when we turn up reluctantly to church, there's something supernatural that happens deep in our souls when we open our mouths and we begin to sing praises to God. I call that the good of the hallelujah to the God of the hallelujah. Sometimes we sing praises directly to God. Other times our songs of praise can be about God. Well, Psalm 147 is singing uh, praises about God and what he does. In this case, it's his work in covenant and in creation. It's been pointed out to me in my study that this psalm draws on many Old Testament references and brings them together skillfully in this new song of praise. So the Old Testament links we have of Isaiah 40 and chapter 55, Psalm 33 and Psalm 104. Uh, There's references here to Job 37 to 39 and Deuteronomy chapter 4. And you find a similar vocab to the previous psalm we looked at in Psalm 146. It reminds me that when new new worship songs come along, at one level they're not really all that new or original. I mean, various Christian artists are just weaving together Bible themes into new phrases, new tunes, different chord charts, which is perfect really because we don't want to be singing heresy. We want to be singing good old, old story, the old, old story, over and over again. Most likely the setting of this psalm, the, the broader context is based around the events of God's people returning to their land after the exile period in Babylon. So verse 2 reminds us of the days of Ezra and Nehemiah with the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after the ruins of the exile. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 12 verses 27 to 30. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So verses 2 to 6 of Psalm 147 Is a song of praise for God's redemption work, especially in bringing them back to, uh, bringing his people back to Jerusalem. There's a reference later on to that in verse 12. Perhaps put yourself into Old Testament sandals into the Old Testament church. You see, once you were an outcast, but now the exile's over and you're gathered back in by Yahweh's redeeming hand where once you were broken-hearted and far away from Jerusalem, God's holy city, well now Yahweh's redeeming hand is binding up your wounds and restoring your heart once again for worship. And across verses 2-6, to the verbs are being piled up to show us what God has done for ancient Israel. He builds, he gathers, he heals, he binds up their wounds, he lifts up the humble, he casts down the wicked. How can you not open your mouth to declare his praises after all that God has done for you? And perhaps more so for God's people now because of the New Testament story as we come to appreciate our redemption in Christ Jesus. Tell me the old, old story of things unseen above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Well, Right in the middle of this section, verses 4 and 5, we're told of God's redeeming power with an illustration that blows our minds a 1,000 years B.C. and 2,000 years A.D. Verses 4 and 5, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. I asked a guy at my church who's become a doctor because of his Ph.D. work on looking up at the night sky, he's probably got a sore neck from doing that, I asked him, how many stars do we know about and how many galaxies are actually out there? And he tells me that we know of about 200 billion trillion stars out there. I'm not sure if he's spotted them all through his Mount Stromlo telescope. And then he said there are about 2 trillion galaxies across the universe and the Milky Way is just one of them. And it's also a chocolate bar that I enjoy as well. I can't even imagine how many zeros those numbers have. It's mind-blowing. It's mathematician-blowing. But even uh, even more mind-blowing and boggling is the Bible truth that God actually knows the number of stars and he's also given them uh, names which we don't even know about. He knows all this because he is the star creator in all senses of the word which leads us into the second stanza of this praise poem in verses uh, 7 to 11. As usual across many of the Psalms, God's creation is celebrated and we're to praise and thank God for the beauty and the wonder across his wonderful world, which of course can never actually be exhausted uh, in song. Uh, Hear the lyrics of the wonderful Rich Mullins as he sings a song called With the Wonder. He writes, or sings, Down at Johnson's Creek the trees grow tall Like a man who feeds his soul on your word And I can look in the water and I can see the stars fall Hear the fires crackle and the crickets chirp And then he goes on in the chorus, 'Cause if it flutters and floats, it falls and it climbs It spins and sputters and spurts And you've filled this world with the wonders round every turn And it buzzes and it beeps, it shimmies and it shines, it rattles and it patters and purrs. And you filled this world with wonders, and I'm filled with the wonder of your world. Well, Psalm 147 is certainly a celebration of praise for God's wonder of his world, and especially his care and providential watch over his creation. The theme of providence also comes up uh, in the third stanza, about God bringing snow and frost and wind. And remember, this is the people of the Middle East. They're not Canberrans or Melburnians who know firsthand what winter actually is. The point of praise here for God's people is to remember God's amazing work in creation and also how he sustains this creation by the power of his word, creator and controller, a cosmos, not a chaos Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, gives us uh, perhaps a a last book praise psalm. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Well, the final part of this Hallelujah psalm, verses 12 to 20, carries the theme, Praise God for His Word at Work. And this section brings together the two themes of creation and covenant. Like in Psalm 19, we have two books declaring God's glory. We have the, the book of creation and the book of his word that redeems and creates a covenant people. This section in Psalm 147 begins with verses 12 and 13. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. The focus here is shifted from the creation onto God's covenant people, chosen or created in Abraham by grace. So the focus moves from general revelation, the creation of the world, to special revelation, the creation of his people. And we keep hearing of his word that brings about his covenant people. We see that, we hear that in verse 15, verse 18, verse 19. He sends out his command to the ends of the earth. His word runs swiftly. He sends out his word. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. This psalm of praise is finishing up, reminding us God has spoken his word. And like in Isaiah 45 verse 23 and Isaiah 55 verse 11, we're reminded that God's word will be sent out and it will accomplish what he desires. So God speaks and reveals himself to Jacob's people, to Israel. Not because they're anyone special. We know that from the Old Testament stories of failure after failure. Uh, remember the series in the book of Numbers. Not because Israel are more lovable or fantastic as a witness to God's love and power. Not because they're more deserving of God's word than the other nations. No, just like in the New Testament, God's people are chosen and redeemed and called out by God because of his grace and mercy. Totally undeserved. And as Jesus' people, we are his people because of God's word and the Holy Spirit that has done its supernatural work in you and me, again, through grace. And that's the reason uh, enough, isn't it, to sing hallelujah at the start and at the end of this psalm. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 9 and 10 is perhaps a good cross-reference for us as God's covenant people now in Christ Jesus. From this psalm, you see, we're given a, a gospel glimpse and we see the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priest a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may pr- uh, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. He's talking here, of course, about us, Christian people. I've often asked God the question, uh, perhaps you have as well, I've asked the question, why me, Lord? Why did you pick me out of my unbelieving family so long ago? Why did you place your spirit upon me, one out of six children? Why me, Lord? And as I've searched the scriptures over and over again, the only answer I can find is the one word, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense and that's reason enough for me as well to sing hallelujah at the start and at the end of this psalm. So Psalm 147 is showing us along with the ancient people of God we are to praise God for his redemption work, we're to praise God for his creation work and we're to praise God for his word at work. One writer uh, says this, this psalm is a full bodied description of God's incomparable greatness. He builds up Jerusalem and gathers in the exiles. He rules the universe and gives his Torah, his law, to Israel. Well, I want to close this wonderful praising psalm by picking up on the application we find across verses 10 to 11 that we sort of skipped over like a kangaroo skipping across a paddock at dusk ordained by god Uh, verses 10 to 11 of this psalm his delight god's delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man but the lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love now uh, there's nothing wrong with the power of a horse whether in a formula one car or in winks or black caviar, racehorses. And there's nothing wrong with the powerful legs that can blast a football through a goal or can race down a track in less than 10 seconds. You see, God made both the horse and the legs of a man and the legs of a woman. But across the Old Testament, this concept of strong legs and powerful horses is often used as a synonym for military might. You see, to have strong horses, to have strong legs, is to claim in the Old Testament you're the superpower of the day and to put your trust and your reliance there. For Australia, it's like claiming that our submarines don't leak or sink and we can boast in our naval strength to defend our island home and that's where we put our hope and our delight. See, verses 10 to 11, is what we heard last time in Psalm 146, verse 3, remember, put not your trust in princes. And it's similar to Psalm 20, verse 7, and also references to Psalm 33 and Isaiah 31, where we read, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, these verses are telling us what we already know and what comes so naturally to us. Yet so often, we still go down the wrong path of thinking and behaving. It's like we have this natural bent to being so impressed by the strong and the powerful and the mighty and the talented and the beautiful. I mean, they always grab our media's attention and ours over the less impressive and the weak and the humble and the less talented. But God's Word is always telling us, that what we find attractive and appealing and what we tend to celebrate and rejoice over, in Old Testament terms, horses, mighty military men, in our terms, maybe the rich, the famous, the beautiful, the influencers, all these aspects are different to what God celebrates and what he's actually looking for. Yes, God's pleased to see humanity use the gifts he's given them. Run fast, Eric Liddell of Chariots of Fire fame. Jump high, Eleanor Patterson, the Aussie high jumper. Swim fast, Emma McKeon, at least faster than the Yanks in the Olympic pool. Use the gifts God's given you, celebrate them a little if you wish, but realise that God is ultimately not that impressed by the brilliance of human achievement or strength or power or cleverness or sporting records. See, it's not the swift or the strong or the great or the fast or the powerful that impresses God, but those who humble themselves in trembling trust, as one preacher wonderfully puts the fear of the Lord. Trembling trust. The humble impress God and those who throw themselves upon his steadfast love. See, we can so easily let this misplaced trust and focus creep into the Christian church as well, can't we? I mean, we can easily focus on the Christian worship leader and praise them rather than the actual song of praise that's being sung. We can be tempted to praise the preacher rather than the one being preached about. We praise the Christian author rather than the content of the Bible which brings to birth any good Christian publication anyhow. And we can easily, so easily fall under the spell of praising a church leader because of the size of his church, but we forget it's the Lord who grows his church, and he is forever to be praised. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 continues to ring true, doesn't it? But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or in the, on the height of his stature, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man or a person looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's what Psalm 147 verses 10 to 11 is telling us. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope, is in his steadfast love. So God's looking for, and he rejoices over, those who fear him, who honour and worship him as Lord and King, those that place their hope and desires in his steadfast love that's new every morning and can wash away your and my sin. What God's looking for, what he takes pleasure in, is, not the, is the state of our inner hearts, not the outward appearance of beauty or strength or might. And so the psalmist begins and ends, it is good to sing praises to our God. And we're reminded halfway through the psalm, it is not good to sing praises to horses or humanity. Now, if you're looking for a great song based on these verses, then you can check out Sons of Korah, the Melbourne band. They do a great version of this psalm. What verses 10 to 11 show us is All our gifts ultimately come from God, including our bodies, our brawn, our brains. And so there's no place really for pride in humanity, only praise for our maker. And we're not to focus on the created, which we often do, but instead we're to fear the creator and to rejoice again and again in his steadfast love, ultimately revealed to us in the God who becomes flesh, and who gives his life to save his people from our sins and from ourselves. Let the godly Bible scholar J. I Packer have the last word on God's word here from this psalm. He writes, If we think of ourselves as achievers, creators, reformers, innovators, movers and shakers, healers, educators, benefactors of society in any way at all, we are we are at the deepest level kidding ourselves we have nothing and have never had anything that we have not received, nor have we done any good apart from God who did it through us. My brothers and sisters, this week, it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to The for Maturity keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ.